the book, how we got it and how to get the most out of it. This is part 17. And we started last week looking at this parable. Matthew 13, uh, 1 to 9. And I was kind of reaching around for a title. The soil makes all the difference. How we determine, how we determine transformation by where we draw the line in our hearing. Unless you think that's presumptuous, that like who are we to have a hand in that process of spiritual growth and maturity, I think you'll see that's exactly what Jesus says when he starts to explain this teaching. It's, it's quite striking, it's quite surprising the way he words it. So Matthew 13, 1 to 9. That same day, and if you were here, last Sunday night was worship night, wasn't it? The Sunday night before that. Uh, I, I looked for quite a while at that phrase, that same day. The things Jesus did that same day and how the people still didn't believe him and trust him and receive what he said. So that, we, we went down that road. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he, he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were Scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. And other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. The them is the, the sprouts of grain as they started to come through the soil. So the thorns just choked them out and made it impossible for them to grow. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. And it seems like these numbers are backwards. Like, I wish they went the other way, and I want to explain why they don't. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. And so it's, it's diminishing. And, and lest we miss that point, Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. And so he, he's making this distinction. You got ears on your head, but that, that doesn't guarantee you're going to get the point of what I'm saying. Make sure, make sure you get this. Make sure you really hear this. And so last week we kind of launched into um, the first foundational point of this great parable that all growth begins with seed. The other accounts will, in a way, in a way that Matthew doesn't, they will actually identify very clearly and say, the seed is the word. It's assumed here, though Matthew doesn't say it specifically. But other synoptics, when they record Jesus' words, Jesus says the seed is the word. We're, we're talking about this. The seed is, is the word. All growth begins with seed. So there has to be something to germinate. And we talked a little bit about the reason. The reason people don't devote enough energy to the seed of the word 
Well, the reason is that that picture of a seed germinating. That's how Jesus says that. That's how, um, that's how the word works in your heart, Don. And, and unless you understand that, you're going to read your Bible day by day, but you're not going to have a reasonable understanding and expectation of how it's going to affect change in your life. Because you might, you might think that you're going to sit down and, and read the Bible and there's always going to be electricity and lightning flashes and you're going to just take the book, put it on the shelf and go, wow, I'm a totally different person. And I'm not saying that never, ever happens. I think all of us in this room, we talk about times where we'd like to wish it was every time, but we've all had times where you were reading your Bible and you weren't even expecting it. And, and suddenly the Lord used something in the text and it, and it did something in your heart. And you just, you just recognize you were a different person because of it. But most often what Jesus is talking about in this parable is, is understanding the way the word works in your heart. Because if you don't see that comparison, that imagery of seed germinating out of the soil, you're not going to read this book with a sound understanding of how it works. And the problem there is you're going to assume because you don't sense something happening immediately every time that nothing's happening and there's no point in doing this. That's why people quit reading their Bibles, isn't it? No one's going to quit reading their Bible if every time they read it, it, it was like the greatest experience of their life. Only, only it, it doesn't always read that way. And so people misinterpret the way it's meant to work in our hearts. The reason people don't devote enough energy to the seed of the word is, like all growth, there's a time lag between sowing and harvesting. I don't know what you've planted in your garden, but I'll tell you this for sure. Unless you cheat and buy your tomato plants in great big things with tomatoes already hanging on them. But I mean if you're a real gardener and you plant stuff. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter what you plant, I'll tell you for sure, you don't plant and pick the same day. It just never works that way. There's a time lag between sowing and reaping. And, and something else, by the way. Sowing isn't nearly as exciting as harvesting. And so, and so it takes more thought and it takes more discipline, it takes more good habit to sow than to harvest. So the seed is the word. Here's the picture of how it works. And Jesus says, if you've got ears on your head, make sure this is something you understand. Or you will come to false conclusions about your Bible study. Yes, it can sometimes feel boring. Yes, it can sometimes feel unfruitful. And no, that doesn't necessarily make you ungodly. That you don't see little sprouts poking through the soil of the circumstances of your life as quickly as you would like. You don't develop faithfulness and maturity into sowing the word into your life. 
It's not that you won't harvest. It's that you'll sow something else and you'll harvest something else. People, people who profess to be followers of Christ and they go to church and they have Bibles, but they don't, they don't sow the seed of the word into their minds with discipline and, and length and consistency will start sowing something else into their lives. Always. It'll be something from Hollywood, something from the internet, something from MTV. Jesus will rule your thoughts, or Blackberry, Twitter, Facebook. Those things will rule your thoughts. Something is going to fill up your mind. Sow the word into your life. That's kind of where we were last week. So if that was point number one, let's say this is point number two. The word will lose its power in my life if I become too entrenched in my own stubborn patterns of living. Here's the parable, and then here's the explanation of the same section of the parable. <clears throat> Matthew 13, 3 and 4. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and birds came and devoured them. Do you have 18 and 19? Read it out loud with me, okay? Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. It's really striking. I mean, Jesus tells us Satan, think about this. The devil himself wants to make sure you don't understand what you read in your Bible. Do you see that in those words? You would think that in itself would make every Christian person say, okay, whatever else I don't do, I will fight here for understanding. Because there's someone trying to take it away. And I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to get this. And it doesn't always work. People sometimes can still be lazy in studying and meditating on the word. So an enemy will steal the word from our lives if it's not received with understanding. I'd like to suggest that there's a particular kind of understanding that Jesus has in mind. These people to whom he's speaking, and we in this room, but the immediate context, these people aren't, aren't too dense to grasp the meaning of the word. The problem was of a different kind. That's why, in quoting the prophet Isaiah, Jesus said their hearts had grown dull. We looked at this last week, Matthew 13, 14, and 15. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull. There's a process there, see, grown over time. With their ears, they can barely hear. Look at this. Their eyes, they have closed. Well, no wonder there's a problem with understanding here. They're, they're, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to think about that. 
I'm not going to listen to that. You ever see little kids? You talk, nah, 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 nah. I'm not going to hear it. That's the kind. That's, that's the root of the lack of understanding. Lest, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart. I would turn and would heal them. So this is exactly the same thought Jesus played out in his parable. He said, people's lives can become like a, you know, a path that's just packed down real hard by lots of traffic and people get busy with the thoughts of their minds and the dreams of their hearts, their ambitions, and, and the seed of God's word is just one more thing pounding into their lives and bouncing off the surface of all the other traffic. Remember, Jesus isn't dealing with atheists here. He's obviously talking about people who give some exposure to the word because the seed at least falls on, on their minds in some way. It's not, like, it's not like they're not reading it or hearing it. This is the crowd that reads their Bibles. This is the crowd that goes to church. Maybe they go Sunday night. And he's saying that hearing God's word is, is going to be a fruitless experience for many people because while their, their bodies are, are in the chair and in, and in the chairs, they've already become distracted and cluttered. They've got affections going in all sorts of directions and ambitions going in all sorts of directions and, and they become desensitized to spiritual truth. So in the mind of Jesus, here's the first obstacle. If I want to hear the word of God unto fruitfulness, there can't be uh, indifferent, careless, casual listening. Because, because there is an enemy, Jesus said, he, and he will steal away, he will steal away what isn't cherished and savored and applied. He will steal it away. The devil goes to church every Sunday. He does everything he can to keep people from hearing. He pinches babies to make them cry so people will turn around and see what's going on and not listen to the teaching of the word. I'm not sure he actually does that. Point number three. Here's something else. It's along the same lines. Jesus isn't just repeating himself. He's taking an idea and then he's pressing it and then he's pressing it a bit more. But it's not a new idea every time. It's, it's just something he's gradually unpacking. Point number three. I can't receive the word in a fruitful manner until I am willing to displace whatever is in my heart that is contrary and unyielding to its truth. Remember that pathway is hard. And the seed just sits there on the top. It doesn't get in. The enemy snatches it away. Okay, we've come that far. Now he's going to talk about the reason for some of that. Five and six. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. You see 21 and 22? 
See 21 and 22? Let's read it together. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And I want you to notice the way Jesus uses that word immediately twice in describing these people. They receive the word with joy immediately, verse 5. And then Jesus says they immediately fall away, 21. Both processes are really fast, he says. And so here we have Jesus dealing with the problem of short-lived spiritual experience and short-lived commitment. How many of you in this room know of professing Christians and at least as far as you can see visibly, they no longer follow Jesus? I really want everyone involved in this. Everyone who knows one person like that, let me see your hand. Just about everybody in the room. What happened? Why do Christians backslide? Why don't all the aspirations and goals and testimonies... Why do so many people end up far short of where they started out? That's what Jesus is talking about here. You can picture the problem. Seed enters the ground, starts to germinate. There's, there's the emotional excitement that comes from that inner awareness of a redeemed life. The church is happy. The angels sing. But just as surely as the germination was rapid, it was also shallow. The roots went down into the soil, but Jesus says only a little ways. And then they, they hit something. They hit a rock. You, you would look at the surface, and, and you wouldn't see a rock. You'd see nice black earth. And you'd see the seed there, and you'd see little sprouts, and you would assume everything was going to be fine. And, and if you forget everything else tonight, here's something that affects the way this book reaches my heart. You don't see it. But under the surface of my life are all sorts of things I know about that you don't. And the word starts to go. I read my Bible. I memorize verses. I'm going to get through the whole book this year. Isn't that good? I'm reading it. I'm reading it. I'm reading it. And there's all these little roots going down. But they're only going down to here. You see it? You don't know that about my life. Everybody in this room. Hard things. Just down under the surface. That aren't moved out of the way. And the word only reaches to that point. 
and everything's green and lush, and then it's all going to start to wilt. People will poke fun, Jesus said, persecution, but there'll be trials, stress. It's not all roses. But, but the real problem isn't just the persecution. It's not just the heat of the trial or the difficulty of the circumstances, because other people go through that and don't fall away. The real problem is there's something down here that I'm not removing. Something hard and unyielding. And until I dig that out, everything else that you see blooming on the surface of my life is going to start to wilt and fade away. And everybody's going to say, what in the world happened to so-and-so? I heard them, Ron interviewed them on Sunday night. I heard this, I heard that. What in the world happened there? And so that's just this crucial point of this parable. From the surface, the whole process was visible. But the rocks weren't on the surface. They were under the surface. Nobody saw this going on. And Jesus means that this happens all the time in human hearts. Some kind of quick response made to God through his word. And I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. And I don't want to be unredeemed. I want to be saved. And I see other people following Jesus. And I want to follow Jesus. And church has a great program here. And I like the music. And yeah, Jesus, come into my heart. And everybody rejoices. But spiritual drought was already in the making, only nobody could see it. Whatever was there under the surface, while the emotions were stirred, received it with joy. Joy. Something wasn't unthroned. Something wasn't dealt with. Something wasn't removed. And here, if I know anything at all, and I don't know tons, but if I know anything at all about the way the Holy Spirit works through his word in my life, I'll tell you what he does. He goes straight to the part of my life that's unyielded. Straight to the part of my life that's unyielded. There's nothing wrong with an emotional quality in our Christian walk. Away with the idea that you know, God, God just wants stoic kind of bite-the-lip obedience. But sooner or later, God's going to come to some area of my stubborn will that's as immovable and unbreakable as, you know, you, you drive up north and there's that granite-like rock just under the surface. And, and nobody else will ever know whether I have listened to the Lord in that area of my heart or not, nobody else will see how real Christ's lordship was under the surface of my life, but that one issue will determine my survival. Jesus explains why. He does it in verse 12. For the, to the one who has... I have to talk about this as we... I'll start to wrap up. 
For to the one who has, more will be given. He's, this is still the same parable. Okay? He's not changing subjects. To the one who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, most of us understand that Jesus, sort of through the inward work of the Spirit, speaks to our lives and he plants truth in our hearts. And so to the one who has, more will be given. Uh, fair enough, that makes sense. We can see how that works. Growth is kind of incremental. You follow him and, it, and there's more following that opens up. You start to bear fruit and there's more fruit that opens up. It's the last part of that verse that's a little troubling. From him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Did, did you know? Did you know that Jesus will actually take away some of the signs of life? when you cease to live in obedience to what he's already revealed to you? I mean, it's not just that you won't make further progress. That, that seems fair enough. But, but that he will actually remove what has been gained in previous years of discipleship, that, that you can't stay at the same level, you, you, you can't park... The word of God, Hebrews 4.12, is living and active. Living, active. There's great comfort there and there's great terror there. So it reaches into my heart in ways that I don't always perceive and, and recognize. I would guess across Canada, thousands of careless Christians will go to church today and never realize that because of their persistence in some sin, their lazy listening habits, their proud assumption that they already know what's being said, and they'll never realize that they were robbed during the worship service. Like somebody came and just took your purse or your wallet out of your pocket. That the Holy Spirit in an act of, I'll explain it, stern grace reaches into hearts and removes previous levels of joy and experience. The things that we, when I don't listen to God in this area, what I usually do as a follower of Christ. If I won't listen to God in this area, I will go to the areas where I'm already listening and rejoice in them. That's how I soothe my heart, right? What's the Holy Spirit going to do to get this out of my life? Well, I'll tell you what he'll do. He'll shut down these areas. So I, I, I just, I have nothing to turn to except that rock under the surface of my life. It's not cruelty. It's called bringing, leading to repentance. People fail and people fall in all sorts of ways. Surely that's true. God is patient. God is merciful, helpful, forgiving with repentant sinners. But he is absolutely intolerant. Absolutely intolerant of people who profess to be following him who refuse to yield in repentance. He loves us too much to tolerate that. 
So let me wrap up this difficult truth with, with these thoughts. I'm thinking of someone who's listening to me right now and they're thinking, boy, what a harsh view of how Jesus works in our lives, Pastor Don. And it's not that God is loveless or in any way willing that any should perish. We know he's not. That's not what I'm saying. God does everything he can do to force me to see when something is seriously wrong in my life. And, and, and as we become less spiritually sensitive, we will usually only be awakened by the increasing awareness that there must be something more wrong than we think, as even some of the graces that we used to turn to for joy and comfort start to shrivel up. Let me tell you one of the most important lessons that I'm just on the learning curve of starting to see. I want to deal with it sometime. I'm just not ready to yet in a teaching session. What I'm trying to say here is this. That spiritual growth is, is seamless. There are no segments in it. It's not like an orange. By that I mean you can't break it up into pieces and components. You can't even just break it up into chronological segments like past, present, and future. By that I mean holy decisions in my present, they open up my life to the future in ways I can't see yet. Just as careless decisions and rebellion in the present shut down future germination of what God might do in my life, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. Do you see why the numbers went that way? It all moves ahead together or it all crumbles together. So, so we're studying how the habit of not hearing the truth actually removes previously known truth. But even that may not be the whole story. I'm fascinated by the way Luke deals with this same parable. In fact... The very same thought about losing what was already possessed. Luke talks about it in Luke 8.18 where he says, Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks, even what he, thinks he has will be taken away. Slightly different. Matthew, even what he has will be taken away. Luke, even, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. And now I get a bit of a handle on the idea that spiritual growth is always seamless. Luke shows it's very easy to assume the possession of truth that isn't really possessed at all. So, how, how can I measure where I am spiritually? Here we are tonight. How, how can I measure my heart? We're going to come to the Lord's table. Examine yourselves. Well, what am I... 
what am I looking for? I mean, there's, a, there's an easy kind of examination. Did I commit adultery this week? Have I robbed a bank? You know, that, that, that's not complicated. But I think the Bible's pressing for more than that. How can I measure where I am spiritually? Well, spiritual life can't be had in pieces. It's not like an orange. It's more like a, a pudding. There are no perforated sections. You can't tear off any bits and pieces. It's every area or no area at all. And, and the areas in which I think I'm walking in maturity are revealed suspect when the Holy Spirit talks to me about another area. And what I thought I had, Luke says, you, you really never had a handle on. Parts of my walk with Jesus, I think I have down pat, are revealed genuine. Okay? The parts of my spiritual life that I think I have down pat are revealed genuine only by the way I respond to the next thing Jesus says to me. Does that make it clear? The parts of my Christian life that I think I have down pat are revealed genuine only by the way I respond to the next thing Jesus says to me about rocks under the surface of my life, about things that need to be dealt with in my heart. And if I don't deal with the next thing Jesus says, then I never really had a handle on these things either. Even what he thinks he has. Get it? Past growth only stands validated by future obedience. Present spiritual depth is only authenticated by future attentiveness. In other words, no part of the Christian walk comes all by itself. Each part is affected, attached to the other. The whole Christian walk is of one piece. It can't be broken up into obedient in this part and disobedient in that part. Willing in this part unwilling in that part. I know we talk about our Christian walk like that all the time, but actual spiritual growth never stays in your account as a credit. This is the Holy Spirit's loving way of keeping people like me from spiritual coasting. It's how the Holy Spirit builds safety in my walk with him. It's how God pulls my life constantly on to the next step in my walk with him rather than resting on past plateaus. It's how he takes you and me from being 30-folders to 60-folders to 100-folders instead of the other way around. So remember the concept. We say it all the time and maybe don't think it through. God wants heart holiness not list holiness. List holiness. I can keep six of the Ten Commandments. That's list holiness. But you can never give the Lord part of your heart. You see the difference? I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect in any area of my life. I'm not saying that. But I have to be yielded in every part of my life. 
I'm not perfect in any part, but I'm striving for perfection in every part, not just the parts you see. You want to go 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. You don't want it going the other way around. Is that right, church? Let's pray.